You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 145 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Before we get this week's episode going, I want to send a shout out and a big thank you to this podcast's first official patron, Michael S. Unless someone else has already become a patron, by the time this podcast episode comes out, Michael will already have heard it because he has early access, as well as access to a bunch of other material, mainly audio, rants, behind the scenes, photos, etc. If you want to become a patron yourself, go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist and uh, there is a clear and visible link on the website naturalbornalchemist.com I also want to mention the Altered Conference in Berlin the 3rd and 4th of November Altered is an international gathering of consciousness explorers from all backgrounds and they uh, join up in Berlin to take part in talks, workshops and rituals on the subject of psychedelics conscious practices and social issues facilitated by leading experts and researchers go to alteredconference.com to find out more why mention this well because i'm going to be there myself on invitation as their official podcaster so if you want to hang out get a ticket and come by now in this episode my guest is author and dmt researcher dick khan And Dick has a long-standing interest in esoteric and occult philosophies. Dimethyltryptamine, DMT, also known as the spirit molecule, is a substance that is not reserved for those that that do not dare to take a leap of faith into the beautiful abyss that leads to some sort of heaven beyond. It is like a doorway into another realm, or maybe another alternate dimension. What it is exactly, who knows? Dick has over the course of many years smoked DMT hundreds of times and it can all be read about in his brick-like book called DMT and My Occult Mind which you can get on Amazon. So thanks for being on the podcast. No, it's, it's, as I say, thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. So could you please uh, tell the listeners a bit about who you are and uh, your line of work regarding this episode, I, I, I guess? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, j- just to outline, I'm a 46-year-old male. I'm a family man. I'm married, two boys, aged 9 and 11, and I think it was about... Uh, gosh, about five years ago, five, six years ago, I I came across the the Spirit Molecule documentary and I was just blown away by what I was seeing and what I was hearing. And yeah, I, I, I knew straight away, I thought, I've got to try that stuff. And when I found out it could be smoked, 
I knew I had to try it because I hate needles and there was no way I was going to stick a needle in myself. So that's that's really how how it started and how I got interested in in that line of investigation, shall we say. When you smoke DMT the first time, at least for me, it... Uh, um, I mean, I've smoked it maybe... 10 times since you smoked your first time, but you've smoked so many more times than than I have, hundreds of times. And uh, so I, I wonder, and you did it for research, of course, but still, still, uh, how could you muster the energy and the will uh, to do it? Mm. I, You know, I mean, I, I, I never set out to smoke loads or say oh you know I'm, I'm gonna smoke hundreds there was no machismo about it or you know oh look at me it was never like that it was more as you say research and you know it, it's unauthorized research it's underground research I have no government license so to speak but I um I I tried it my initial experience and my initial first few experiences left me feeling infatuated with its magical capacity and you know I, I think it was about after about 50 experiments I thought I need to pursue this and really try to come to some understanding as to what is actually happening and it was through forming that definite intention that I said let me start my own research program and documenting my experiences but it, it was never about coming to a number or you know just pursuing it for for the sake of pursuing it it was always about coming to an understanding of what was actually underway in terms of will and courage i i many 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 times i have just had to ignore my fears ignore the little voice in my ego saying don't do it don't do it you don't do it and oh man I mean that is that is a challenge on its own and I I found that once I'd laid down that was my sign to myself that I'm committed to this and then I realized that once I've laid down before I smoke the DMT you know once I laid down don't think about it just just have a couple of deep breaths sit up do your inhalations lay back we're on so that that really was it. I, I thought I was dealing with courage to begin with, but then after a while, I figured that I was really just ignoring my fears and realized that was quite different. And yeah, it's challenging work. Did you manage to break through the first time or did it take several attempts before you smoked enough to break through? I'd say my first time was just a few milligrams because I I was extracting DMT on my own, you know, reading text, looking at videos on how to do it. I, I had no idea what I was doing other than through reading and, and watching other people do it. So my first experience was just a few milligrams and I sat on my bed and my wife was watching over me, you know, disapprovingly. It was a nice sunny day. And, you know, just a few milligrams inhaled in just, just one pull. And my God, you know, I mean, the, the potency of that stuff, you know, the sound in my head just ramps up. 
the room becomes crystal clear all of a sudden you know all the dimples on the ceiling are like giving off a spectral rainbow light and I mean that's nowhere near a breakthrough but the potency of the substance just just completely blew me away even with just that that few milligrams I think you know the second experience was I think with about 15 milligrams and laid on the bedroom floor looking up at the ceiling again it's a bright sunny day and there's an image on the ceiling of myself my family you know it was like an old cinemagraph experience you know and I, I'm watching the scenery of me and my family like, like walking as though it's an old cinema movie and it's on the ceiling and I'm I'm rational and I'm lucid and I'm thinking, how the hell can can that image be there? It was so crisp and clear. Whether that qualifies as a breakthrough or not, I don't know. That was my second experience. But certainly I think when I got up to 20, 25 milligrams, then things really, you know, then, then you're in that, wow, it looks like I am really going to another world and when I'm there my god who, who are those people who are those why do they look like that look at that scenery so yeah you know it's uh yeah yeah just that uh, I, I read uh, a bit of what you've written and maybe it's not 100% accurate but it seemed that you always do it in in uh, daylight or in the light never in uh, complete darkness no, I never, never tried it in complete darkness. I mean, no, I haven't. I was going to say, I wouldn't know how to, you know, like find the pipe. But obviously with the lighter, you know, the flame of the lighter, I'm sure I could do it. But no, I've, I've, I've never done that. My preference was for daylight hours and maintaining open eye visuals. Well, um it's hard to compare notes because I've only done it in complete darkness and never in the light. Uh, I will have to try in the light because I'm interested to know uh, because in the dark there's no chance anything in my immediate surrounding is going to affect what I see because I know like uh, when I... One of the first times when, when I made the DMT, I tried just a little just to make sure it was working. And I did that in the in the in the light and, and I, I could see and I've also done mushrooms in the past when it's when I've seen in the light things change. And for some reason I don't like that because then it's just like that that chair becomes another thing or uh, the light from the window just morphs into something else, but when it's completely dark, it it just feels uh, more um, uh, unaffected by the reality. Oh, okay, that's that's that is interesting, and um, you know, I mean, when I say my preference was for open eye visuals, there have been just a very few occasions where I have closed my eyes. And, you know, you, you behold that incredibly colourful, incredibly active, almost impossible scenery. So I kind of know what I'm missing out of, missing out on. And, and it does look magical. But for me, because I was pursuing it in an investigatory manner, I thought, you know, I, I've got these eyes. 
I want to use them. I want to keep them open. And I think ultimately it, it paid off because over the course of my research, the experiences really seemed to change. So midway through, it seemed I stopped having any hallucinations. You know, that, that, that seemed to stop. The experiences changed and became more invasive. And then when I headed outside, you know, I, I was seeing what I consider to be beings that are actually behind classic DMT experiences, you know, I mean, and those sites were just simply incredible. By far, the, the, the most rewarding sites of my entire research. So, so basically, you're saying that even if you if you smoke a proper dose, even if it's in the middle of the day, uh, it's so strong that it penetrates the lit up reality of our reality, and it just just takes over. Depends. That there's been times when I've smoked DMT in the bedroom with the sunlight, you know, filling the bedroom, and. It, I've had the hallucinatory experiences and then, you know, it doesn't matter your eyes are open or closed. You, you just, it just seems that you're in a different realm altogether. So I've had that, but equally I've had experiences in the bedroom where I smoke DMT and, uh, you know, in my opinion, that the, the DMT experience is an interactive experience with an entity, a spiritual entity. That's, that's my contention. So I've had those experiences where, there's been no hallucinations, but there's been either an invasive element to the experience or just some real, you know, like mind bending adventure, you know, something really strange. You're like, oh, my God, how, how can that be? You know, and yeah. And does that does that help to answer that? Well, this is probably one of the most difficult subjects to speak about because it's uh it's very hard to put into words, uh, and uh, you might be talking about exactly what I'm talking about, but using different words. So it's hard to, it's very hard to imagine, and you can't really explain it to somebody if they haven't tried it. But I know when when I do it in the dark, uh, it doesn't matter if my eyes are open or closed. It, um, I see the same thing. You know, I, I've. I've not tried DMT really since I think this, since December 2016. And should I return to it, I'm going to have to try that smoking DMT in the dark because I know from reading the accounts of others, it, it's supposed to be an epic experience. So I will have to try that. And the main reason why I, I don't do it more than maximum once a year. <laughs> you know, something you said about you know trying to explain it to others i mean before i took dmt i spent months and months online reading the accounts of others reading you know terence mckenna um, listening to his interviews explaining the dmt experience and you know when i first started trying it I forgot about all that. None of it mattered. And I'm sure it's the same for everybody. You forget about everything you've read and you're just like, my God, that is that is impossible. How can that be? And also what I think is interesting is that 
um, it doesn't seem to be. I mean, like I often, because I'm a a person that likes to question things. So when like four or five months have have passed or elapsed from my DMT experience, I start to doubt it or I start to question it or use devil's advocate uh, arguments on myself. And then when I smoke it the next time, I always go like, how could I ever, ever doubt it? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I, I know just what you mean. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things. It it's the, it seems the more you pursue it, the stranger and stranger it becomes. And, you know, it takes more and more imagination to be able to come to terms with it, comprehend it, and, and even integrate it into your, your own outlook on life. Have you ever, considering you, you've done it so many times, because I've noticed this myself, have you noticed that there's some sort of like a story arc to to all of them like you know each time you do it is like the next episode i would agree with that because i i've taken the view that there's almost an initiatory aspect to pursuing dmt experiences so it seems that almost somehow your previous experiences are, are somehow known or recorded somehow <laughs> To whatever's interacting with you and it seems slowly and by degrees and I'm sure this is depending upon the individual but slowly and by degrees the experiences subtly change over time become I don't know more adventurous more challenging maybe more difficult I suppose this depends on the individual so yeah I, I would agree with that I, I think there's a very definite initiatory aspect to these experiences and 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 to underline that I think these beings that interact with DMT researchers they, they somehow seem to be able to intuit the psychological capacity of the individual and determine what he or she is or may be ready for and I don't know maybe they sometimes get that wrong but yeah I spoke about invasive experiences and had they been among my first experiences I would have said, no way am I trying that ever again. But I think it was after maybe 100, 150, I found my experiences really changed. And those entities that interact with with DMT users then started to operate invasively within me. I could actually feel them within either my cranial cavity, my thoracic cavity, or my abdominal cavity. And that was a whole new chapter in my research. When you say invasive, can you explain it a bit more? Because for me, it sounds like a negative word somehow. Oh, okay. Um, I certainly don't mean it in a, a negative fashion. But what what I found is that these entities seem to be able to form some, what I came to, to call quasi-physical substance. So... I've never actually been able to reach out and touch it and feel it. But in terms of their capacity to, when I say invade, I I mean invade, like put a portion of themselves, a quasi-physical portion of themselves, either within my throat or within my cranial cavity, and you can feel them moving about, and the same in your thoracic cavity and abdominal cavity. And... I don't mean it negatively, but I've got to be honest, to begin with, it 
it's hugely unnerving. But I found that if you can put your trust in these beings and not panic, then by and large, it's okay. That said, they did a couple of, I had a couple of experiences where, you know, I was on the verge of panic. They were really, really, really testing me. And principally that was, I'd be laid on the floor in the DFT experience and something is very slowly, very slowly, either squeezing my windpipe or very slowly reducing the effective internal diameter of my windpipe. So slowly it's becoming more and more difficult to breathe. And I'm in my mind, you start to think, oh, my God, what, what I've got it wrong. What am I doing? I made such a big mistake here. and you try not to panic and it's getting harder and harder to breathe. And just when you're on the verge of outright panic, the entity goes and you, you're alone again and you can breathe. I mean, you know, that they are unnerving experiences, but they're experiences that you come out of it and you think, my God, I'm so happy to be alive. You know, it, it, it rejuvenates your appreciation for being alive, I suppose, is the, maybe the purpose of the experience. Usually for me, if I ever think, don't panic, it's already too late. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, well, I've, I've had a couple of those, and yeah, you, you like, Phew. and you know that there have been some experiences, not not too many, but somewhere I thought I'm up for this, and then you know the being starts to do whatever it, it's gonna do, and I just say whoa, whoa you know you abort mission abort mission and you know as i said the, these things can be within you invasively as a, a, a quasi-physical substance again don't mean that negatively and then when you abort the experience there's a very long and slow withdrawal process and you can feel these portions withdrawing through your physiology snaking out through through your limbs and it, it's such a bizarre and surreal experience and you know the the mindset of actually being there with one of these powerful entities and you feel like you failed because you've aborted the experience you, you feel like crestfallen and downcast you know, oh my god i failed you know please forgive me kind of thing very very unusual yeah, um, I've had one experience where I entered this very shamanic realm for some reason and it felt like there were entities there that were doing some shamanic uh, dancing or trying to get me to stabilize and I had a problem stabilizing and, and then as I came crashing back down to, to reality... Uh, I just kept saying to myself, oh, this this uh, shamanic path that they were showing me, it's its so, so hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I'm no hero. When I, I think when I first set out and I kept upping my dose and upping my dose and I, I had one experience on 35 milligrams in the bedroom. This was a night time with my eyes open and that, that was just an incredible, truly incredible experience. But then a day or two later, okay, let's try another 35 milligrams. And I just, I, I was, I couldn't breathe. You know, I was just, 
my breath was just all over. It was catching in the back of my throat. And even the entities that I was seeing within the bedroom, they were looking at me with concern. You know, oh my God, this, this, this dude can't breathe. And seemed to withdraw, seemed to, to, to go. And, I, and I, you know, I, I slowly, slowly found my capacity to breathe again and to be truthful because I've been nothing less when I uh, wrote my books. I, I, I laid off DMT then for, I think, several months. I mean, that scared the hell out of me, you know? And it's when I came back several months later, it was start again, start low, go slow, and just, just slowly build up your, your dosages again until you've got your confidence back. It's happened to me that because uh, I tried to keep the smoke in my lungs for for as long as possible, and uh, usually it, it comes on so fast that I'm in the experience and I'm amazed at the experience, and I notice that something's wrong, and I realize it feels like many hours later, but it's probably only a few seconds that I haven't exhaled yet, and. And and I try and it's hard to like remember how to do that, you know. And then you might panic for a few seconds, but then you somehow autopilot manages to exhale for some reasons. It's like it can sound for somebody who hasn't done it, you know, it's, it's silly, but it's only a few seconds. But it's it's like an eternity. Yeah, and you know, and it, and it, you know, you're the hero there, Alex. Because I mean, that's the key to it. You know, I mean, if anybody who smokes DMT and you do need you do need I think lungs that have have that capacity either through I, I guess smoking tobacco or being an ex-smoker or a smoker of weed or whatever and I, I add that I, I don't smoke myself now but yeah that that's that's the thing keeping that if you can keep that DMT in there you know the longer it's in there the more absorption time you know the more pronounced and profound potentially the experience and there's been times where, yeah, I, I've been my own hero and I've, you know, I, I've gobbled down the, the vapor and I've kept it down there. But I'm not going to lie, there's been other times where I've inhaled it and it, it's been in my lungs and I've blown it back out. And, you know, you're still going to secure an awesome experience. But, yeah, I think, you know, maybe hero is defined by how long you're going to hold it down there in your lungs. And as I say, sometimes I've been my own hero and other times I probably could have done better. So we, we talked a bit about it before, but uh, what have your uh, doubts and arguments been uh, regarding these experiences? If you've compared it to like what uh, the mainstream scientists would say it is and what you, you now think it is. Alex, that might be the best question of this interview because what has really struck me and surprised me is there is an absolute resistance to considering spiritual realities and when I say that I don't just mean from traditional mainstream materialistic minded science but even from DMT researchers themselves so I, I've come to realize that there's different ways of concluding what the experience is and as I said my contention is is that the experience in its fullness is a very direct and very profound interaction with a very powerful spiritual entity. And I'm in touch with uh, friends on social media who have maybe even taken more DMT than me, 
but their opinion is that no this is this is all in the mind it's all in the psyche and i am absolutely gobsmacked that they can take that view and i base that on the, the conclusions i've reached from the experiences i've had and more so what i've seen especially towards the end of my research when i was outside and smoking and not really being you know imposed upon but just some of these entities just showing me themselves as just these incredibly beautiful large sized you know beings with this awesome geometry of beautiful symmetry i mean it's clearly a natural thing it, 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 it's just something i don't know more evolved than us far more evolved than us tremendous sights and i don't know i i feel sure that you know if, if people with smoking dmt see those sights they're gonna be like whoa that that is really something extraordinary but yeah that seems to be the dichotomy is it within our mind or is it something is it, you know is it something interacting with our mind and you know Psych uh, psychedelics the definition of psychedelics is mind manifesting and I, I kind of I love the definition of that because it does it it manifests our mind and by doing that that seems to be attractive it seems to attract other minds discarnate minds spirits but I recognize calling them spirits is discomforting to some individuals and to mainstream science so I guess there are other other labels you can give these beings, whether it's intelligent energies or, you know, discarnate intelligences or hyperspatial entities. But for the moment, I'm kind of stuck with that definition, spirit beings. I like it. Well, based on my own experiences, if, if what I've experienced is generated from my mind, then uh, I must be... You know, my mind is extremely awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. You know, uh, when I first began my, my research, I, I kind of formulated this 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 statement. What was it? And it's, if if the DMT experience is is just particular to my mind, then I know nothing about my mind. Whereas if the DMT experience is outside my mind then mankind knows nothing about the universe. And I think the truth is somewhere between the two because DMT's effect on, on, on our, our mind, our consciousness, that in itself is an incredibly profound thing. But by using DMT to, you know, literally rapidly expand your consciousness, expand your mind, that seems to be attractive to these spiritual beings and they have the capacity to impose upon our minds albeit temporarily, but in a very powerful and very profound fashion. I have a piece of, I wouldn't call it evidence, but it, it did uh, give me some doubt uh, one time, because uh, I normally do it at night outside in nature. And uh, I was going to do a... Uh, ceremony as I call it and it was uh, in the middle of the winter and for some reason I decided no I'll do it inside and um, my wife hates the smell or and the smoke 
So I decided, okay, we have a very big bathroom. So I'll, and it's also good because I can make it very dark in there. So I, I closed myself in the bathroom, opened the window and uh, had my experience. Uh, but what happened was the entire, you know, I entered this DMT realm and there were all these entities and all these, like it, you, like normal. However, they were all in a sort of toilet uh, theme, like <laughs> entities like janitors. And I mean, it's hard to describe, but it was like all toilet related. So I thought, okay, is this is this proof now that it's all from my mind or or what? Yeah, I, I mean these 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 spiritual entities. I would say they certainly some of them have a fantastic sense of humor, and I think that that's a really awesome experience. And I mean, and yeah, I, I've I've often thought I should have done an experience in the bathroom, and I never did it. And now I'm wondering, based on what you've experienced. Maybe I would have seen something similar, but that's that's really enjoyable to to hear. I, I tell you one quick story. Um, through the nature of my vocational work, I was once in a, a situation where I was with a, a very large number of, of police officers in a, a, a huge, huge marquee with catering facilities, hundreds of police officers. And the next day I, I did this DMT experience at home and I was on the landing. And oh my God, it's like all the, the, the DMT experience was like police themed. So you've got like these human-like entities dressed as police officers. They were like cars with police livery. And it, I mean, yeah, similar to yours, it was like, oh my God, you know, that they, they know, they kind of know what I've been doing and they're kind of using that to formulate an experience. You know, it was as funny, humorous as it was bizarre. That's why I always wanted to somehow sneak into a one of those old school Catholic churches uh, and do and smoke it by the altar. I like your mind. That that is super. Let me know how that goes. That, that sounds really good. And it's only like ten minutes, so you know if you're quick, you know you can get away with it. I I I, I went through a phase of wondering. You know, what if you smoke DMT here? What if you smoke DMT there? I went through all kinds of scenarios. And, you know, one would be, you know, in, in the was it the king's chamber of the, the, the Giza pyramid. You know, if you smoke like 40, 50 milligrams in there on your own at night time, what are you going to experience? And I'll be honest, you know, I, I'd love to say I've got the courage for that. But I don't think I would have if push came to shove. But don't you think that, you know, like your police story and my toilet story that, you know, because we can say that, oh, well, they've just sensed the environment and they make fun of it or use it. But isn't it just uh, proof that our minds are so unknown that we see all these amazing things, but it's also our mind that we do know that also shows up as the toilet or the policeman? Well, I, yeah, you're right. And it is... I suppose it comes down to the question, how, how much of it is our mind alone and how much of the DMT experience is 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 it an entity that's interacting with us? And, and for me, I've taken the view that in its fullness, it's a very direct interaction with a, a profound spiritual entity. But your, your earlier point about the unknowns of the human mind, I mean, for sure, because 
as I say, outside, I, I've smoked DMT and I have seen my consciousness spiraling out of me as some incredible geometric spiraling torrent. And this is no interaction with, with any entity. This is just the effect of DMT upon my mind. And I have seen my mind stuff spiraling out of me like, like a geometric torrent. And and it seems bountiful. I mean, so much of that stuff can just spiral out of you and it, it seems to fill the sky and you're like, oh my God, how, how can so much of that stuff be from me? You know, where does it ordinarily reside? I mean, I don't even want to go down that road now. I mean, the questions it, it, it poses are just beyond profound. Why do you think the scientific community is, doesn't have DMT as their main focus and instead are trying to like shoot molecules around a tunnel in Switzerland? I think it's probably a couple of reasons. Principally because it's, it's illegal. And I think secondly because it, it's not really that easy to pursue. I think, you know, it, it's not for everybody. We have to be clear on that. And I think Thirdly, to add a third one, I think, as I said earlier, there is a genuine resistance to considering spiritual realities, whether it's within ourselves as individuals, within humanity, or even without humanity. There's a real sort of materialistic conditioning that seems prevalent throughout Western-minded societies, and, and I think it's changing, but, you know, it's I think it's going to be a slow and, dare I say, painful change but I think principally it's because the DMT is illegal I don't think it's easy for individuals to pursue maybe once or twice and then you know do I really got the stomach for that again so I'd say I'd say those reasons those three reasons I uh, reached a point when I was about uh, 25 uh, that I was I was a hardcore atheist and I completely hated all religions and everything they stood for and, and everything was, you know, uh, meaningless and when you die, nothing happens. And I'm also quite stubborn and uh, after having my first few uh, ayahuasca ceremonies, which, was, uh, which is DMT, but more longer, uh, I uh, had to accept the fact that I was completely wrong and it took a few years but then now uh, I love all religions and I realized that what I hated was the institutionalized religions not what they came from or uh, the core message or what they were speaking about you know between the lines I just disliked the structure the organization and the laws and regulations uh, so i rediscovered it in another way you know i uh, so it became full circle for me but when i talk to an atheist nowadays uh, it's uh, i i can uh, i can i just say like look do you have 10 minutes you know I, we must be kindred spirits alex because i'm sure it was when I was 25 that I went through the very same phase that you just described so well. Uh, a hatred of all religions, there's nothing beyond death, everything's just a great agglomeration, a concurrence of, of atoms, and a real sort of cold and 
not a very good mindset to be honest but yeah same as you around 25 I, I had that and I think for me I, I, I got turned on to esoteric and occult philosophy and when I say esoteric and occult philosophy I feel I have to qualify that I don't mean in terms of wizards and witches I mean in terms of the, the philosophies at the heart of, of, of that law that kind of mode of thinking and I got really turned on to that and I spent years and years doing my best to study it and understand it to the best of my ability because it's a study that is mentally taxing and same as you I, I came to have an appreciation of of all religions and, and well before long before I tried DMT I had a view that there are other realms and there are spiritual beings and I'd come to that that belief based on my research into those esoteric and occult philosophies but it was since trying DMT and pursuing it that I came to know that my beliefs had been well founded and accurate. Has your wife uh, tried it? No, um, no not at all, no I'm um, I'm in a mixed race marriage which is is fantastic, I'm in a, a great marriage, happily married but these things are not my wife's cup of tea at all. But she has listened to me explain what my opinions are on this. And for the first 18 months, I think there were raised eyebrows and, you know, suspicious leanings and not quite on board. But then as I've, I've gone on and on and explained it and explained it, I think, you know, I've seen a subtle change in her mindset and... Uh, a small degree of fascination as to what I've explained and, and what I've, you know, you can watch so many of these things now on YouTube and yeah, she seems to have a, a genuine fascination in it, but not the same passion that I've got for it. No, she would certainly never try it and I, I have to respect that. I don't think it's for my wife, God bless her. Well, is it two, uh, two ways to think about it? Because in one way, if you don't want to do it, you shouldn't. But... When, how do you know unless you've done it? That's it's a, it's a good point, and I think because you know some people do have a difficult time with it, and I think from the outset, I think your intention, the intention behind you trying the MTR, any psychedelic or entheogenic substances, I think intention plays such a profound role, and I think anybody who privately comes at this thinking, oh. Yeah, what a lot of nonsense, you know, this will be nothing, da-da-da-da, and then, you know, they, they they take the mushrooms or they smoke the DMT, and I mean, you know, you can read these accounts online, people see, you know, horrific things, experience horrific things, and say, that that is not for me, and yeah, you got to respect that, but I've also sort of questioned, well, I wonder what their intention was before they hit that pipe or before they drank that brew, and, and I don't know, and let, let me just return to what you said about ayahuasca because I, I've never tried the ayahuasca. I've never tried the drink, so let me give you respect and kudos there. I've, I've never never tried that. Yeah, and for me, because I uh, did ayahuasca a few times uh, over the course of six years, and it was after that that I tried the DMT. And because of this, DMT for me is more like a a trailer of 
past or future ayahuasca ceremonies. It's hard to explain, but it's like an ayahuasca ceremony, but very quick and usually without uh, um, any uh, vomiting or all those things. But I have I have uh, on one one time when I smoked my strongest dose, uh, I did almost vomit when I came down because I came down so fast. But because I left my body and as I came crashing back down into my body, it was like a roller coaster. So I almost puked, you know. Wow. I think that's that's the ayahuasca experience is certainly something that I should try. And whilst it's not my radar immediately, yeah, I think it's certainly something that I should look to try at some point. So what uh, have you concluded from uh, has the smoking DMT for this research has it uh, affected you uh, personally in ways like healing you or uh, from past traumas or something like that no no past traumas but I, I've certainly noticed it's uh, the change is subtle but significant so I've always been a positive person, so it, it just seems to have subtly amplified that positivity. But on a day-to-day and a personal level, as much as it's subtle, it, it, it seems significant. And, you know, dare I say, you know, it's been noted in my place of work, you know. I mean, my manager once said to me, you know, I... I don't know what you're taking, but I wish I could have some, and kind of made me chuckle, you know, because um, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's a, a definite personal change in a in a positive way. Certainly, far more conscious of relationships with people that I know, people that I don't know, strangers, you know, far more conscious of 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 those interactions in terms of trying to improve them or, or make them better or, or keep them keep 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 them good, you know, keep good relations. It, that seems to be a real important aspect of my life. And I think, you know, I've come to appreciate that more since pursuing the DMT experiences. But but how how does that how does that information I mean it's not like these entities straight out tell you to do those things. So how does it work, you know, mechanically? I, I, in terms of mechanically, I, I, I wouldn't know. I'm, I, I'm no brain surgeon, no, no neurosurgeon. I, I, I wouldn't know. But I think it, it's those interactions with those entities that I think instill in you that, you know, there's more to life than, you know... There's more to life than material things, and you know everybody knows we all got to go, we've all got to die, and I think I think that that question how individuals come to an understanding of what that means for their own existence is significant, or maybe shaping their outlook on 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 life while they're here. And for me, I think it's kind of instilled in me that when you die. I'm sure there's going to be something else. And I know that's controversial, and I'm not saying my personality is going to survive, but I think there's something very deep within us all that, that will survive. 
And I don't just base that on DMT experiences. As a young child, I think between three and five years old, I, I used to have occasional out-of-body experiences from my bed. I used to I used to fight sleep. I was fascinated by the transition between being awake and being asleep. And I used to try and stay awake, stay awake, stay awake as, as sleep was, you know, coming over me. And the occasional outcome of that was I, I would have classic out-of-body experiences and I could move around the family home just by dint of will, pass through closed wooden doors, you know, go into all the rooms. Everything was just as it would otherwise be. And, yes, yeah, so it's from a young age that I came to understand that there's something within us that really can exist beyond the physical. And I think it, the DMT experience is kind of, as an adult, sort of make you think, well, you know, what kind of a person do I want to be? And, and what's gonna, what is going to happen to me, you know, when I die? How, how am I going to die? And, you know, maybe it's bravado because at 46 years old, I'm still, I'd like to think, quite a long way from death. And I don't know how I will feel if and when I get to old age, you know, whether I'll still have that bravado or whether I'll be old and frail and think, oh, my God, what's going to happen? I just don't know. I remember many years ago in one ayahuasca ceremony, I was elected into the intergalactic warrior council of like, they look like uh, Native Americans, but in 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 space somewhere. <laughs> and ever since then, I always try to live up to that job <laughs> that is fantastic man and i got i gotta say these 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 entities that they their ability to impose fantastically on our psyche and kind of change the way we we live our life or view our life it, it really is profound and i say yeah you, you live up to that role great alex i'm you know I, it's just awesome to hear that and one thing i've also thought a lot about is that you know uh not only, uh, you know, when you, because I know my wife has tried it and uh, she usually feels or she got a headache from it. And I uh, a few times got a headache from it. And I noticed that if I drank a lot of water before, I didn't get that. I'm not sure if the batch is bad or something, but uh, have you ever had any physical or any, any, anything uh, like side effects of some sort? No, uh, thinking about it, no. Um, and for me, in terms of s smoking DMT, that that's one of the beauties of it, you know? I mean, as much as it's powerful and intense, it's short-lived and you're back to baseline relatively, relatively quickly. And, you know, I mean, there's times where I've had incredible experiences and then, you know, like 45 minutes later, I'm... I'm in the supermarket with my wife pushing a trolley around, looking at everybody and thinking, oh, my God, you know, it's like 45 minutes ago. You should have seen me and seen what I was seeing. But no, no, no real side effects other than at the time, you know. Isn't it hard to like to uh, uh, be in this reality? You know, like it feels like almost like a dream. If I think I understand what you're asking, uh, for me, it's... Because I already had that belief in spiritual realities based on my interest in esoteric and occult philosophy, it, it, it's just really, it's just confirmed that that, that that view, that belief was well-founded. 
Um, no, I, I, I don't find it a challenge, but obviously, I mean, the conversations that we're having, these are great conversations to have because you can't have these conversations with anybody. I certainly can't go to work and strike up this kind of a conversation. People are just going to like, what the hell are you talking about, man? So, you know, I only find it through social media or one or two select individuals that I can have these conversations candidly with. So I suppose there is a, a delicate balance between maintaining that mindset, you know, in your your private life and then in your working life and interactions with people who are not sort of don't don't buy into this mindset then no, you, you can't have those conversations. I don't find that too hard, I'll be honest. Yeah, because it's not that it's illegal, it's more that they think you're insane. Indeed. <laughs> As I say, there's a, a tremendous resistance to even entertaining the notion of spiritual realities. And as I say, that that's not just from non-DMT users or non-psychedelic or entheogenic users, But even DMT users themselves, uh, you know, they like, no, no, you're wrong. It's not that. It, it's all in the mind. And I'm like, well, hang on. Psychedelics is about mind manifesting. And if it's manifesting your mind, then why can there not be other minds that can manifest? That seems to me part of the natural order. But I, I suppose it's an illusion and it's a very convincing illusion. You know, reality looks as convincing as reality looks but you smoke some dmt or i imagine take some ayahuasca and wow how quickly your perception of that reality can change and how quickly well yeah just that how quickly it can change and uh yeah there's no doubt about it these experiences are life affirming life changing all those things I've met a few people who drank ayahuasca many times and they're atheists and, and I'm wondering if they drank a, a weak brew or, or what, because I, 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 I was an atheist and I even rejected any sort of uh, other worldly uh, entity or god or whatever and I it's it's just like, Um, basically just smashed me down till I had to accept it. Yeah, I mean, scratching my head at that, I, I don't know. I've, I've never tried the ayahuasca, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, certainly from my experiences of smoking, I, I can't, I can only really go on my own experiences, so I have to sort of extrapolate if those individuals had experienced what I'd experienced and seen what I've seen with the same sort of rational, lucid frame of mind, Would they still be saying, "Well, I, I'm an atheist," but I suppose it's—I don't know. Could, could they could they be saying, "Well, I, I don't want to commit to a belief in God, but I will go as far as conceding that there are spiritual beings." And I know there's all kind of philosophical and ontological arguments that say, "Well, if you believe in spirits, then you know you go up and up and up." But there's God. I, I don't know, and it, it's probably too heavy and too difficult to go into on this podcast. And I'm no expert. I like to always refer to God as uh, the divine mystery because the word God has so much baggage. And people, often when I watch uh, YouTube videos of Richard Dawkins talking about the the stupidity of a God, I often find myself agreeing with him because it's true. God, that's not God. The God Richard Dawkins talking about is not the God I've encountered at all. I think divine mystery is a really good way of expressing that and uh, 
it's one that I'll remember. I like that divine mystery. But you said you. I noticed. Maybe I heard wrong. But you said entity. You didn't say so much entities when you talked about this invasive uh, quality. Well, I, I found that by and large the DMT experience is an interaction with one entity. There have been some experiences I've had where I felt that you know that one entity is interacting with me, but I've I've, I've when I say I've sensed the presence of another, it, it's been more profound and more direct than that. There really has seemed to be more than one there. And when I when I say entity, I, I mean a spiritual entity. And for me, all those hallucinations and what appear to be like autonomous individual entities, whether it's human-like people or aliens or insectoids, for me. I take the view that they are, that's the content of the mind of the being that's interacting with you. For me, the DMT experience is a, it's an interaction with a spiritual being and it's within the gift and those capacity, the capacity of those spiritual beings to impose visions and hallucinations upon you. And, and for me, that's the content of, of their mind. Have you had this experience where these, if these entities, or if you've seen several at the same time that, or one doesn't matter i guess but that they're like dancing or sharing uh, uh, cheering you on or or um, you know like you know, yeah like... yeah I, I i've had um yeah experiences where i smoke dmt and lay down you get that that very short-lived but incredibly highly energetic phase and then you know there's almost like uh, uh, an uproar cheer you know yay he's here you know and I mean that is just so it's delightful it's, it leaves you infatuated with the with the experience and you know one, one thing about the DMT experience is I've often mostly I found them incredibly exciting adventurous and pleasurable and on that basis you would think the very next day will be so easy to go back to let me go back to that because it was so enjoyable so pleasurable so adventurous but the truth is very different it takes courage there uh, there is nervousness and fear about you and that paradox to me was hugely influential in coming to an understanding as to what i believe is, is behind the dmt experience you really are interacting with a, a powerful intelligence because if 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 it was enjoyable, adventurous, exciting, and there was no fear associated with it, people would go back again and again and again and again, and some do, but it, it, it's difficult, and it's that difficulty to me for me that really highlighted that you really are interacting with something and something that's very powerful. A few days ago, I visited. Uh some local indigenous people and they had like a huge teepee like a tent Ma even for me as an adult it was massive and it was empty inside because they hadn't uh, they were going to have some barbecue or something but it, it hadn't been set up yet so it was completely empty and I I have a one-year-old uh, so I, I, wa I, I was inside the teepee and I called her name because I wanted to take a photograph as soon as she entered the teepee just, you know, the look on her face. And she walked into the teepee, happy, and she looked up and saw how big it was, and she uh, started crying and became very afraid. 
and uh, I guess that's a bit like the DMT experience, you know, like it's so massive and awe-inspiring that you like you become afraid. Yes, yeah, that, that it's a nice. Well, I say it's a nice story. I mean, your poor daughter, but yeah, it's that's a good analogy, actually. Yeah, and I suppose you know, from an adult perspective, then yeah, it's something quite akin to that. You realise you're dealing with something that's perplexingly large and unfamiliar and hence yeah that, that there is there are occasionally tears i uh, you know several times i have i have had tears i have blubbed and cried and indeed these are powerful experiences and what about this thing uh, where they show you things yeah as as i say my experience has changed so that that was like the first half of my research program my experiences where i was having those highly defined you know visual hallucinatory experiences and yeah i mean you see these things and at the time you can kind of i suppose you i don't want to say you can comprehend what it is but you can look at anything wow whoa yeah okay mm-hmm. and the astonishment seems to grow and grow. They seem to change these things and change it, and, and the astonishment grows. And then when you come out of the experience, you're like, oh, that, that is just impossible. How can those things be? It's just impossible. And I don't know. I mean, now, how do you describe to somebody else something which you can't even compute yourself? Now, we mentioned earlier about, the, you know, the toilet and the police, how it could affect the experience. But this on the flip side now, how can a substance produce uh, the exact same visual effect? Because, you know, like both the happy and the dancing and showing things, you have had it and I have had it and many others. It seems strange that that can be a chemical. In the chemical, it says in the code, show somebody showing somebody something. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So... In, in that respect, this is also some sort of evidence that it's a, an actual place, maybe. So there seems to be some commonality between the various experiences that individuals have. And for me, I, I come to the view that these experiences, as I say, that they're, they're very profound and direct experiences with, with independent individual spiritual entities. And... In terms of their evolutionary status beyond us, I, I don't know. That they, 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 for me, seem to be far more advanced than us. And I, yeah, for sure, there are commonalities between the experiences. I think that that in terms of going to a place, I, I so-called hyperspace. I, I never really sort of bought into that that phrase, that term. And whilst I do believe in hidden realms, hidden worlds. For me, I found the DMT experience, as I say, as much as it looks like you're going to another place, what in fact is happening is, from my experiences, something's powerfully interacting you, interacting with you in the setting that you're in, imposing highly defined visual hallucinations on you and, and making it appear that you are elsewhere. And those hallucinations can include human-like entities or a whole host of, of, you know, what appear to be 
individuals, independent autonomous entities. But for me, the experience is a profound and direct interaction with, with a powerful spiritual entity. Yes, it, it could be also the difference between uh, smoking it in, in light or darkness. I don't know. I, I haven't tried the in the in the light. I I will have to try that to so at least I can compare for myself. Well, I mean, when, when I first set out, as I said, DMT it's, it has a profound impact on on our consciousness, on on our minds. It it rapidly amplifies it and you know through repeated experiences especially outside you, you come to appreciate that your consciousness has a plasticity an elasticity a fluidity about it and you know when I when I first started with the DMT you know I have experience and I'm in my bedroom you know and the lights on or it's daylight and the, the bedroom's filled with this this mind stuff you know there's no other way it looks like ghostly ethereal you know substance and you know you you try and grasp it you cannot you you sweep your hand backwards and forwards through it trying to create eddies within the air to sort of make it move and billow like smoke but it doesn't it doesn't do that um i've been outside and, and smoked dmt and significantly amplified my mind my mind stuff fluidically fluidly elastically and and I've done this on a very windy day and the wind is blowing and blowing and blowing and that mind stuff it, it's not moving it, it's very peculiar you know it, it's it's I don't know it seems tough I, I've taken the view from my research into esoteric and occult philosophies that it's got an uncommon density and you know the wind just just doesn't seem to trouble it you know that stuff can blow and blow but that mind stuff is just just remains undisturbed and just slowly will I don't know return to baseline and for me I mean that, that I suppose in terms of maintaining an, an open eye uh, approach to my research yeah I mean that that I suppose has been the benefit you actually can see that mind stuff you know uh, a few times when I smoked and failed, because you can fail if you inhale wrong or you cough or when I, I, I smoked and I failed and I had to smoke again a bit later. But you have to, you know, at least I do. I, I wait because you, you always get a little effect. So I wait till it goes away before I can try again to get a proper dose. And at those times I've had the light on, but I see, I don't see any visions. It's, it's so weak. But what I noticed is everything is in high definition. Like, I see my room as it is. It just looks better. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I mean, I, I came to understand that that is evidence of, of your, your amplified consciousness. I mean, that, that stuff, it seems to amplify from you, as I say, rapidly. It has capacities of plasticity and fluidity. But... Yeah, it, it actually seems like crystal clear. I'm cautious using the word substance, but yeah, you smoke a, a small dose of DMT and within seconds, the room looks, it looks cleaner, it looks brighter, edges look sharper, the, you know. And for me, that that is evidence of one's amplified consciousness. It does seem to have a, a crystal clear clarity that seems to shame the ordinary air 
and you know out, outside you know that that can be the same and then it, it for me it seems that once that consciousness starts to return to baseline it, it seems to change it seems like unravel or unfurl and becomes more ghostly and ethereal so the, the, there seems to be definite changes in one's amplified consciousness from smoking dmt from it, it, it amplifying out I, I suppose like a big crystal clear bubble and then as it starts to return to baseline it, it seems to unravel unfurl as i say and become become ethereally ghost-like and and i've i've done this outside and you can actually feel that stuff you know that mind stuff you can actually feel it slowly subtly coming back into your into your head you know you can feel it very subtly passing over your skin passing through the the, the flesh around your face do you have a relationship with the smell of your pipe because i sometimes smell it and that's enough for me i don't have to smoke Listen, that that is such a great question. Listen, I I've got a pipe here. I don't know how much is in it, and I've had this. I I, I made some DMT for a a friend, and I I scraped up the residue that was left, and I've had this here maybe a week, maybe two weeks. I don't know. I, I just I've not touched it. And yeah, I, that is a smell I love, and I think in um in two or three of my reports, I wrote about smelling the pipe before an experiment, and it smells like the best perfume in the world maybe it's just my infatuation with the dmt but it is a very i find a very pleasurable scent very pleasurable smell well it's like a fine wine or whiskey i guess because like people who have not tried it they think it smells bad and i didn't like the smell i mean it, it like grew on me over time <laughs> yes a valid point yeah it's certainly grown on me and even as we're talking you know I got this pipe up to my nose in there, and it is it, it it it's an aroma that I like it. I do I like it. Whether or not I'll get to smoke this pipe, on, I I don't know. I fear it will just sit there until I I don't want to smoke this pipe and be half-hearted about DMT. That that's the thing. I mean, you know, if I'm going to return to my research, and I think at some point I may, but I'm not going to rush into it. Then I'll, I want to do it properly. I'm not just going to smoke this pipe because it's there and because I, you know, I scraped up some residual DMT from from a, a, a from the glass plate. Well, if you're into esoteric things, I I always try to smoke if I smoke on a special occasion, and I have a long-standing tradition of it's not always smoking DMT, but some sort of psychedelic ceremony. I always do on uh, the pa- during the Passion, uh, the during Easter on Good Friday, when Jesus was crucified. That's when I crucify myself with some psychedelic of some sort. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And yeah, I mean, you know, and, and on that sort of Christianity point, you know, I mean, you you can smoke DMT and you can have those classic little death experiences where you know you are convinced that you're dead you're convinced you've left the land of the living and it's so utterly convincing and it's not until you 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 sort of like you come out of that experience and you think oh man i was just the experience man i'm still alive i'm gonna see my family oh joy and that is it's almost like being born again you know you you feel rejuvenated and you have a, a, a newfound passion 
for life and being alive because only moments ago you were absolutely convinced that you were dead and trying that on a good friday yeah seems apt so if people want to uh, read your research where where can they do that okay let let me say that i've self published and the book the physical book is as big as a brick and you know unless you really want to carry that around with you i say wait until the ebook comes out and that should be in october and that same as the physical book will be available through amazon and create space but i warn anybody looking to buy the physical book it's as big as a brick and you know maybe that's um, because i self published and i could have maybe done a few things a little bit differently i'm I'm, I, I say I'm 99% happy with the book, but I think the e-book will probably suit people better because obviously you, you're not carrying a brick around in your bag. So where can they download or, or buy the book uh, now? Um, it's not available in e-book right now, but as I say in October, it, it should be available in Kindle version. So um, yeah, I, I, I've said that I'll, I'll wait while October and you know i'm in touch with the publisher and i will i will sort of release a kindle version an electronic version in in october of this year and yeah i mean beyond that you know there's another two books to follow my approach was i'll do one year of research and i will i will write about that that was book one um that also includes a little bit about me my boyhood experiences of having out-of-body experiences and a couple of other strange experiences how i came to try dmt then my reports then my conclusions that was book one and then in the second year i you know pursued my research wrote about that and then you know i i, I always fancied doing three books so my third year again pursued the exper- exper- experiences the experiments and wrote about those so hopefully sometime next year book two will come to market maybe just as an ebook and maybe towards the end of next year my my third and final book in that series and yeah from there i don't know who knows i've i've really i guess i've fallen in love with with writing you know i mean my job my vocational work i like it and i like it a lot but i love writing and if i could do that for a living then that really would be a dream come true do you have like a website or or social media um yeah i'm on um facebook dmt.researcher and twitter dmt underscore researcher and yeah i mean uh instagram i think uh, dmt researcher maybe and yeah you know i've got small presence on there and i i i'll be honest it's only since i wrote my book and published my book that i turned to social media to to market it but really i i i kind of like don't like that marketing mindset and i certainly don't keep an eye on how many books i'm selling i just really don't like that mindset it seems anathemic to the creativity to that creative mindset of writing so i just love interacting with people who want to interact with me on on social media you know if anybody wants to look me up and, and connect with me for sure you're going to get a reply and i'm more than happy to interact with 
anyone and everyone who wants to interact on this subject. Cool. Well, I can talk about this for hours, but uh, uh, thank you a lot for uh, talking to me. Alex, I've got to say, I, I really enjoyed it. And there were some moments in there I really did feel we were kindred spirits, especially that when you were 25 years old and you were against all religions, because I had that face just like you, my brother. So, Alex, thank you very much. If you want to connect with Dick Khan, go to facebook.com forward slash dmt dot research or twitter.com forward slash dmt underscore researcher. I'll post those links in the program notes. Now for some music that could be classed as DMT-esque, at least when such music is chosen from a contemporary library. Personally, I like to go more old school when listening to music and smoking DMT. I usually go with Icarus, but since that is not everyone's cup of tea, here is the track Kismet by Sumiruna. Go to universaltriberecords.bandcamp.com forward slash album forward slash the dash Sumiruna. If you want to check out some more, and if you listen closely, you'll hear some samples of Graham Hancock himself. If you have any suggestions for something you would like me to talk about in a future episode, drop me a line and or connect with the podcast in social media. All the links you need is available at naturalbornalchemist.com. And if you go to Berlin, don't forget to join me and a bunch of other people at the Altered Conference. That's alteredconference.com. Okay, this episode is done and done. Next Sunday is the last Sunday of the month and we'll close October with an episode called Politically Correct. Freedom is in the mind. Unless you reconnect with spirit and do so soon, you're going to bring the whole house of cards down around your heads and ours.